From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, she makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Haq. Welcome to a new episode of For What It's Worth. I am your host, Rabina Ahmed Haq. We have a fantastic show for you today talking about all things food and kids. We know kids eat a lot of food, so that kind of goes together, right? Uh, we're going to have a co-founder of a company called Grocer On later in the program uh, to talk about an innovative way that they have found to grow fresh food even in the dead of winter. Now, we know the cost of groceries are up uh, more than headline inflation. So headline inflation at 4%, grocery costs are still at 6.9%. Now, they have come down since the very high of more than 10%, uh, but still certain items, especially fresh produce, remains persistently high because the cost to produce it is so expensive. And then when we get into the winter months, it has to be trucked in or flown in from all over the world, and that increases the cost too. Um, my guest is talking about how her company will help bring some of those costs down, especially in the north where it has been infamous that we've seen fresh food prices double, triple, even quadruple what you would see uh, in the more uh, in the in, in the cities that are closer to the United States, so in Canada South, if you want to call it that. So in Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, these places would have less uh, costs associated with groceries than compared to anybody who lives in the North. But in the last year and a half, everybody has been paying higher prices for groceries, and that has only pushed up those costs even more uh, for those people who live in more remote regions. So we'll talk to her about her company and how they're hoping to bring those costs down uh, through her uh, through her innovative new company. I will also talk about the cost of raising kids. Now, Statistics Canada recently uh, published some numbers that they gathered from 2014 to 2017 uh, about the cost of raising kids. Now, get this, housing, transportation, food, and childcare makes up 80% of the cost to raise a child from zero to 17. And that number is big, close to 300 thousand dollars is what they are saying. And bear in mind, this data was gathered six years ago. So those numbers are much higher now considering where inflation's at and the cost of living is at. And that puts a lot of pressure on families, uh, families who uh, may be one income and one parent stays home to raise kids that may not be viable anymore. You may have to have both parents working in order to afford the house they live in, the cars they drive, the vacations they go on. So I'll be speaking to Alison Venditti. She is the founder of Moms at Work. It's an advocacy group for working mothers, uh, talking about the pressure that this puts on parents and the things that parents are giving up in order to afford life for their children. There are a lot of factors that make raising a child more expensive. That includes the house you choose to live in, the where you grocery shop, where you go on holiday, uh, what programs you put your kids in. I mean, if you've got your kids in elite sports and you're living in one of the most expensive places in your city, of course, you're paying more than someone who is living in an apartment and you know, uses city-run programs. So those are obvious differences. But I think it's worth noting that if you want to cut down your costs of raising your kids. There are ways you can do that without actually affecting their childhood. I think that we look at a number like $300,000 and we think, oh my gosh, that's so expensive. How am I going to come up with that money? You don't have to come up with that money. That's the average. That's the average amount that the average family, and in this case, StatsCan says, two parents, two kids in Canada with an income of somewhere from 83000 to 135 and change. 
household income. So you don't have to adhere to the norms of what people spend on their children. You can find ways to save money. I know raising my own kids, my kids are now seven and 11, that one of the best ways I've found to save money is to not really buy much, right? Sounds obvious, but really I don't give in to much of their, can I have this? Can I have this? Can we go here? Can we do this? I try really to edit a lot of their requests and make sure that when I do buy something that they really appreciate it. And the other thing is to buy a lot of things secondhand. Um, now my daughter's at an age where she's not loving the hand-me-downs anymore, but up until a year ago, I mean, most of her clothes were secondhand, which is pretty much free, right? So I've got friends who've got kids who are older giving me stuff secondhand. I, of course, moved that along to uh, kids that are a little bit young, parents who have kids a little bit younger than mine, and so that they can use it too. doesn't always work, right? Sometimes I got stuff that's a little bit worn out, a little out of style, Don't really doesn't really fit my daughter's body because maybe hers was different than the kid who was wearing it before, but it works I'd say 50 to 60% of the time. And that's a huge saving. So that's my uh, little bit of uh, advice for anybody who's trying to save money on raising their children. But we will be getting more into it with uh, Allison uh, later on in the program. When we come back, we will be speaking to Alita Burke. She's the co-founder and CFO of Grocer. This is an innovative new company that has found a way to grow fresh food even in the dead of winter. And she says... This is going to save us money on our groceries. When we come back, we'll have Alita on. I'm Rabina Ahmad Huck, and this is for what it's worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Huck. We are almost finished harvest season here in Canada, and that means a lot of our fresh food will be coming from great distances. In the winter, it's not unusual to see fruits from South Africa and vegetables from Mexico. As great as that is, nothing beats eating locally grown. A new company called Grocer is hoping to make that a reality for Canadians in the winter, growing fresh produce year-round, even in the cold, using modular structures. It may also be a way to cut down on our overall grocery costs, which remain higher than headline inflation. To talk about this, we are joined by Alita Burke. She's co-founder and CFO of Grocer. Hi, Alita. Hi, Rubina. Now, I gave sort of a really, really high level of uh, using module structures to grow fresh produce. But could you tell me what is Grocer? For sure. Yeah, Grocer at its core is helping individuals and communities grow food locally. So you can imagine a 40-foot shipping container style modular structure uh, that uses hydroponic technology. So what that means is you're growing food without soil and you're using artificial lighting through LEDs. So that allows you to grow year-round, no matter the climate or the weather, uh, and works really well in places like Canada. Yeah. And I went to your website. It has a lot of pictures there that help put into perspective and just give you some visuals of how the food would be grown uh, in these shipping light containers with, the, with, like you said, the artificial light. Um, what inspired you to, 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 start a, to start Grocer? What was sort of the genesis behind the, the idea? Yes, it was about oh, seven years ago now. My business partner and I were uh, working up north uh, through the University of Ottawa and, and learning about social entrepreneurship as students doing our bachelor degrees. And uh, it got us learning about social entrepreneurship. So looking at business from the lens of people, planet and profit, um, but also opened our eyes to, you know, the, the systematic challenges of food security across Canada and in particular in Northern Canada, where that very typical uh, sticker shock 
is something that we experienced where food prices are are really astronomical. Um, And so we thought, how can we couple technology, especially in the rapidly advancing technology that we have uh, going in in this sphere in particular, um, with some of the challenges that are facing Canadians across Canada. So with that, the genesis for Grocer was born and has iterated over the last few years. But ultimately, now we're helping communities across Canada, both north and south, be able to grow year round uh, locally in their communities. Yeah, even before the uh, uh, cost of living crisis started, we've been hearing about higher prices in the north for you know a bunch of bananas costing ten dollars and costs that you know we're not used to when we live closer to the American border, where it's easier to have food shipped in from as far away as Mexico, if not even further. Um, tell me a little bit about how this could help bring prices down in places where food has remained uh, persistently high uh, for Canadians. Yes, for sure. I think, like you said, both in northern Canada and even here down south, I'm in Ottawa. uh, Over the last few years, we've truly experienced that that crunch in terms of um, food inflation and prices increasing. So with something like this, um, what's what's great about this technology is you're able to install it locally. Uh, so whether it be steps away in a grocery store parking lot for a cooperative that's uh, wanting to sell their own greens or, or with a school where they're selling um, through with the students and they're they're selling it direct to their community through a CSA style box. It's really cutting down the length of time from when it's grown and harvested and going directly to the consumer. So we're bypassing a lot of the challenges when you're needing to rely on complex and very fragile supply chains in some instances. Um, So one example, our very first farm many years ago now was in Churchill in Manitoba, working with the Churchill Northern Studies Center. And so they had their rail line washed out because of heavy flooding back in uh, 2017 uh, into the community. And so they brought in a a grocery unit and they've been growing for the community ever since. And they were able to bring down the price of produce from $7.99 to $3.99. And they also then have a CSA style box as well, supporting their community members. So just one example of many of how local can be a beneficial option in places you maybe don't typically think about. When you say seven ninety nine to lower the lower price, how, how, can you put that in perspective? What do you mean by that? Uh, let's say a head of lettuce, as an example, on the grocery store shelf in the community was seven ninety nine, and with a local option, not having to be shipped up at that point was air, but also now uh, still by rail, they're able to bring it to the store shelf for three ninety nine as the retail price. And that is, I mean, that's almost half price. So that's that's uh, that's a considerable savings for those who are used to paying those higher prices. And you did mention that, you know, in in, in southern Canada where we are close to the border, we we have only really experienced this sticker shock, uh, like you said, uh, in the last year, year and a half, with grocery prices remaining persistently high, higher than headline inflation. The numbers for August, which is the latest that we have, was that the same basket of goods still cost 6.8% more uh, year over year, uh, whereas inflation was much lower than that. Headline inflation was much lower. How could this uh, overall bring prices down, especially in places where the population is much more than maybe in Churchill, Manitoba, where the need is that much greater? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a few key areas where where this can be beneficial. And it's such a complex issue. And it's not a one size fits all. I think there's so many different parts that can play a role in helping to strengthen our food security and food sovereignty um, here at home. But I think one of the key facets does touch on that supply chain um, piece where because recently things have been affected by whether it's environmental, geopolitical, uh, input costs where where labor and other factors are really putting pressure on on food prices increasing, um, removing that supply chain facet in terms of being able to have something that is local, you know, less than 30 minutes can be on a store shelf or in consumers' hands, uh, really brings that um, challenging part where supply chain can really throw a wrench into uh, into being able to have fresh produce on the shelves, um, allows it so that there's ongoing and consistent reliability, um, whereas with the supply chain challenges, it can really become an ongoing issue. So I think that in in a key piece is, is an important facet. We're speaking to Alita Burke. She's the co-founder and CFO of Grocer, uh, a company that provides solutions to grow fresh fruit, uh, even in the dead of winter, using shipping-like containers. And they've already had success in many many northern communities. Um, this is, seems like an obvious question, but I think it's important because uh, it, it does address um, health and wellness. How important is it for, um, for us to have access to fresh fruit uh, year-round that is grown locally? that hasn't traveled thousands of kilometers to get to us? Oh, I think it's something that we can all experience when you have that fresh, um, whether it's maybe something you grow in your garden or on, let's say, inside at your kitchen versus something that maybe has traveled, like you said, thousands of kilometers to get to your to get to get your kitchen. Um, it, there's just something different about it. It's, it's just such something that can't be bought to a certain extent and uh and and having that option is is i think something that everyone should have access to so not only that i think or i've seen as well in different studies that nutritional value um deteriorates as well as as the shipping and supply chains uh get longer so it's something that the the farm network that we have of just over 70 across canada can really make a dent in yeah, I mean, it breaks my heart when I, I hear stories where families have to make a decision between fresh food because it's so expensive and pro- and uh, processed food because it is the less expensive option, but obviously not having the same nutritional benefit as a head of lettuce, like you said, or cucumber or or uh, other other produce that 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 it just may be out of reach. Um, is there a particular foods that you can more easily grow in these containers uh, uh, that you could tell us about? Yeah, in terms of this type of and style of growing, uh, things that turn over more quickly, let's say having a shorter uh, time to maturity is where it really uh, is beneficial. So what we see that's typically grown are leafy greens, so and your lettuces, uh, different things, different types of herbs as well, like basil or mint. Um, And then leafy greens, like I mentioned, in terms of spinach, kale, things like that are very typical in, in what is typically grown in our grocery farms. Is it mostly vegetables or are you able to grow fruits as well, which do sometimes have a longer growing period? Yes. In terms of 
what our current farms do. It is geared towards uh, leafy greens, but the research that we're working on and where the industry as a whole is moving to as well is really focusing on optimizing uh, uh, fruit production. So strawberries is a big one you'll see um, that is is making great strides and becoming more and more commercially viable. Uh, tomatoes, uh, peppers, things of that nature. They require some changes, but are where the industry is heading, which is really exciting. And tell me a little bit about where your company is heading um, as, you know, as we start to think of more innovative ways to grow fresh food. Yes. For us, there we see a lot of opportunity in terms of um, supporting and, and making a more robust uh, food system, both here at home in Canada and, and around the world. Um, in particular, the challenges where weather and climate are more extreme, whether it's extreme cold like here or extreme warm, let's say, uh, in terms of areas like Australia or the Middle East or other areas where you typically have challenges that are becoming more and more pressing as we see changes in climate and, and things of that nature. So that's where we see ourselves headed in terms of location and, and expansion. But there's definitely advancements made in terms of research made in the types of crops that can be grown so that you're seeing a more uh, complex and robust, um, I guess, um, plant network, if you will, in terms of the different things that can be grown here at home. So I hope to see that continue in the next few years. It should be very exciting. Yeah, I'd absolutely absolutely love to see these containers in every community. I, I mean, I think a lot of people over the pandemic has take have taken up gardening. Um, have, I know myself, I took it from a hobby to now something that I legitimately grow uh, food that we use well into the fall. I haven't really figured out how to make it last past that <laughs> unless I pickle it, which I'm not a huge fan of pickling everything. But I think having access to fresh food and knowing how to grow your food is, is such an important uh, skill for for all of us. Oh, I totally agree. And and I think just continues to supplement what we can have uh, available to us um, right here at home. Okay. Well, Alita Burke, you, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, thanks so much for telling us about Grocer. No, thank you so much, Rubina. Thank you for having me. Alita Berg is co-founder and CFO of Grocer. Now, here's a little factoid for you. 12.7% of Canadians have insufficient access to food. But in Nunavut, that number jumps to 57% because of the cost of transportation and the challenges of just getting food to those communities. So a company like Grocer hopes to bring those costs down, especially in those remote communities where the temperatures get very cold and it's impossible to grow anything fresh. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, Stats Can says that the cost to raise a child is now more than $293,000 on average from age 0 to 17. Coming up, I'm going to talk to the founder of Moms at Work, Allison Venditti, about her reaction to this number and what she says parents are sacrificing to raise their kids. I'm Rubina Ahmad Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Robina Ahmed-Hawk. Raising kids is expensive. We all know that. But a new survey published by Statistics Canada puts that expense into perspective. It finds the average cost to raise a child from birth to age 17 in Canada 
is $293,000. How much you spend on your child depends on a number of factors, your relationship status, where you live, and how big your family is. To talk about this survey, we are joined by Alison Venditti. She is the founder of Moms at Work, an advocacy group for working moms. Hi, Alison. Hi, how are you? Good. You know, a lot of parents are reading this StatsCan report that says children costs 200, what is it, $93,000 to raise from zero to 17. What's your reaction as a working mom? Well, when people put all the numbers together like that, it, it seems overwhelming. But day to day, I think most parents have seen this. It's just with costs rising, uh, I think a lot of people just weren't prepared for, for how expensive it was going to get raising kids. And a big chunk of that is childcare and education. So that's money that goes towards uh, paying for after after school care or even before that, uh, if you have uh, daycare costs or nanny costs. Um, are you surprised that it makes up that big of a chunk of, uh, of how much it costs to raise a child from zero to 17? Especially bearing in mind that childcare costs do drop off quite considerably after age seven or eight. I would say my kids are like my oldest is 12. I think that there was, you know, a big sort of piece of wool pulled over people's eyes when they thought, okay, well, once they're done daycare, it'll get better. <laughs> and because of how the school day is structured, we have before school, after school, uh, PA days, March break, summer break. And I think that I was not prepared for the summer camp shuffle and how expensive it was to be sending kids to camp. Um, so I know the feds have brought in $10 a day childcare and that's awesome. Uh, and so great for kids under the age of like in daycare, but there are just mounting costs for older kids. And I mean, uh, there has been so much criticism as well of $10 a day uh, childcare that it's not available in every neighborhood. It's not, you know, not necessarily even accessible. Uh, if there is, if it is available, there's a waiting list. So there's been other issues, you know, it's not as seamless as I think some people had thought it would be where it would just be a switch that they turn on and say, okay, now childcare is $10 a day. And here you go. Here's the one in your neighborhood that's easy for you to get to uh, when you're, yeah. when you're taking, uh, when you're, when you're going to, um, when you're going to work. Has that been your experience as well? Well, I think that the feds were very open about this. They said like they're doing it in stages because there's it's impossible to run out to roll out any full stage anything. Um, if they did it in a year, I would be very skeptical of how they had done that. This is meant to be intentional, to build new centers, to hire and train more staff. And I'm like, so they haven't committed to anything being in place until like 2026. And they're actually beating all of their timelines. So I don't think that was ever an expectation. And, you know, Moms at Work was very involved in, you know, speaking with the ministers about rollouts. But I think that people were expecting something that wasn't going to happen in that timeline. Um, so my perspective is I think it's going really well. I think that Quebec is an excellent model. And I think that eventually it will be. But it's been something that, you know, women's groups have been fighting for since the 50s. And we finally have it. So I'm not going to knock the fact that it's it's happening. Absolutely. Now, um, you are uh, the founder of Moms at Work, an uh, organization that uh, supports all things uh, working parent. Uh, what does this say, this number, $293,000 to raise a child from zero to 17 in Canada? What does this really uh, say when it comes to working parents and, and the need now for a, a, a family where two parents have to be working in order to afford a, a middle-aged lifestyle? I think it's, I really think that 
you know, we've lost the thread somewhere in the fact that on the one hand, they're screaming at women and parents to, you know, have children to do all of these sorts of things. And then, you know, with rising housing costs and really a sort of wage stagnation, it, it makes it impossible. And I also think that there's a lot more recognition of special needs. There's a lot more diagnoses with ADHD and autism, whatever, that require you to have a lot more supports in place for kids. And I think that's something that no one's talking about is the expense of you know raising a special needs child, which is wrapped into this Statistics Canada stuff. And, and I think that that plays a large portion in it as well. Yeah, there's been um, you know so much more attention given as it should be. Uh, to parents and the costs that they have uh, when they have a child with special needs, because that 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 uh, that uh, fact that I talked about that you know after seven eights childcare costs really do plummet uh, because uh, a uh, your child almost becomes able to stay at home after the age of twelve at least, and um, and uh, they don't need as much care uh, as much at least one on one care um, as they need when they're kids. But that's not the case for parents with special needs children. I mean, they really need care throughout their lives and even uh, in, into adulthood. Um, you know, bearing that in mind, but also bearing in mind like the cost of kids going away to university and other costs that um, that parents are often feeling like they are responsible for. Um, you know, what advice do you have for working moms and dads who are who are, are, are trying to pay for their day to day needs, but also then save for their kids' uh, financial future so that they will have uh, some money there to, to, when they when they enter post secondary education. I think that a lot of advice is directed on how you should be doing this better, how you as a parent should be fixing this thing. And I think that there's a lot of, we have a lot of levers to apply pressure. I think that there's a lot of, you know, I think that A, every parent should vote and you should B, get your children to vote and you should really look at the platforms for what, for, you know, what governments are offering uh, and make decisions based on, you know, what you and your family need. I think that there's, you know, we've seen this with lots of, current events with the green belt and whatever how much social pressure does impact our government and you know we have a say in what we want money spent on but no i think that the chronic underfunding of education after school care is you know healthcare even is is a lot of the cause of this and i'm like it's not just because you haven't worked hard enough or you haven't saved hard enough or you aren't buying lattes I'm like that's not going to make or break some of these huge amounts of money that are required um, so I think that there's huge opportunity here to to make changes uh, if if you're willing to do a, like a little bit of legwork. But I I don't think it's fair for it to be to say to parents you know you need to be working three jobs you need to ha have you know live with your parents do that I'm like that's a really hard reality to face that most people won't be able to afford a home or you know pay for their kids post secondary education I'm like that's hard. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and and I think it's worth pointing out that this data was uh, taken from 2014 to 2017. And yep. things have changed quite dramatically since 2017. Cost of living has gone up yes. uh, exponentially. Interest rates have gone up. Um, you know, is this, this, do you think that these numbers reflect uh, the cost of raising kids or the fact that life is just getting more expensive? And as you know, housing prices go up and, um, and, and, and parents just find everything being more expensive? Or, or do you think children are just getting more expensive to raise? I think everything's more expensive. Well, we know that. We know. We've seen inflation numbers. We know that it's more expensive. And, you know, parents are, you know, want the best for their kids. I haven't, I know, I run Moms at Work that 
the women in my group are giving up things for themselves to make sure that their kids are getting the things they need. So people are not getting their hair done or not getting whatever done so that their kid can go to their appointments, you know, or getting the new shoes or signing them up for basketball. We still want all those things for our kids. And so there people are making a lot of tough choices. Um, but the clawback isn't coming from the things that you're taking back from your kids. So I think that's part and parcel of some of it. Uh, am I asking people to not make those choices? Absolutely not. I think they're making choices that are great for their family. Um, but the one thing that I didn't see in those statistics was also there's a lot of reliance on, you know, what we keep talking about is this village that no longer exists, you know, like child, like you have to have your kids in after school care because there, you know, is your neighbor isn't home to help watch them and things like that. I, I think that is greatly reflected in those numbers that there's not a lot of, you know, village mentality or help out there for parents that isn't paid help. Yeah, the shift that we've seen in the last 50 years of when people did live close to their parents, uh, close to their siblings, close to the people they grew up with. And now, you know, you grow up and you move to sort of anywhere in the world where you build your new community, which is great. Uh, but you yeah. may not have the support that you need, like for a last minute childcare request, or if you're sick, you know, someone can come in and sort of take care of things while you get better. Um, all of that then has to be paid out. It, it cannot be, it's not free work. It's not free labor that can be uh, absorbed by your community. Uh, what right. role, I mean, just expand on that a little bit. What role has that played as, as we've become more and more global citizens, we move everywhere around the world and we don't take this village with us, obviously, wherever we go. Well, I think also some of that has been choices, right? A lot of people are choosing not to have a lot of those family relationships because of lots of reasons, and and, and that's fine. Um, but the safety net hasn't grown as we've moved away from that safety net. There is nothing in place by the government. There's nothing in place by cities or things that are not paid. And that has caused a huge disruption in how we raise our families so that only people who can afford to get help are, are doing well, or only people who have after-school care can work nine to five. So what we're seeing, at least in our things, is there's a lot of women stepping back from the workforce because it is impossible for them to do this without those safety nets in place. And it's very, very hard to live on one income. So that shows the the sort of depth of issue that we're having that people who have university educations and have been working for 20 years are choosing to step away because there are no other options. We're speaking to Alison Vendetti. She's the founder of Moms at Work and a career coach. Alison, these stats, what do they tell employers when they're hiring um, uh, working parents, especially working moms? Because there is a lot, in, there's many families that are now dual income families um, that employers may have the impression, well, you know, uh, they're dual income, they're able to make it. Um, what, what do you think employ able to make it financially because they're bringing two incomes home? What message does this send to employers who may have that attitude? Well, I think that, look, Sh Shopify had to put out a statement to be like, hey, we don't want people working side hustles while they're working here. And, and so I don't think it's just a working parents thing. I think it's for every employee. So many people are feeling the squeeze. Um, so, so that's reflected in sort of the messaging that's coming out for corporate. Um, also, I'm not of the opinion that employers should fix everything, right? I think that there's you know, a lot of employers are doing really great things and offering great programs, um, but keeping wages with inflation um, is really important, bringing up wages. And also what I've seen is really hard is this demand to return to office is totally unnecessary and totally overblown and makes it so hard for people who have 
not even just kids, but parents to care for, you know, elderly relatives. And this is going to become a huge issue as baby boomers are retiring and getting older for a lot of people, not just parents. So I think that's going to be a reckoning for employers. They're going to have a very hard time keeping people who are trying to support other people and becoming caregivers later in life. What do you think of this idea of employers asking those, you know, you talk about remote work, if you're going to be, if you're, if you're going to be working remote, that you can take a pay cut. What do you, what do you think of that uh, sort of notion that that's okay to offer uh, a contract that way? There's all sorts of schools of thought on this and, you know, I don't agree with it. I'm, I feel like you're paying people for the value of their labor, um, especially for, you know, remote, but for places like that typically are like, you know, Meta and the bigger companies. And I was like, they're just a corporation. They don't set the standard, but I don't think it's necessary. I think that if you want someone with a certain skill set, you're willing and you're willing to find them anywhere. I'm like, then good for you. But no, I don't like, I haven't seen any compelling research, compelling data that this is the way to go. And remember, like, this is just companies are just a form of capitalism. And so, there's no real rhyme or reason between that, although they're trying to explain it away. So I don't think it's necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as the founder of Moms at Work, if if there's a, a a young person listening right now who's pregnant, say with their first baby, and they're 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 seeing these stats, thinking, "Whoa, what have I gotten myself into? I cannot afford to raise a child." What would be your advice to them if they are uh, if they are going to be a working parent um, and worried about the, just the cost of bringing that baby into the world? I would say that they're not the first person to go through this. You know, they're not the first person. Everybody always feels like, you know, they're carrying the weight of the world on their shoulder. Moms at Work is a huge organization. We represent lots of members. And that, you know, really look to what people have done successfully before you um, and get involved. I can't say this enough, but I was like, there really is power in change, you know, calling your MPs, advocating for more things, funding for after school care supporting our healthcare workers and, you know, making sure that our healthcare is public and strong and free is going to make a huge difference, you know, as you're bringing up your kids, availability of services for special needs kids. I'm like, these are becoming really important. So that would be my advice to them is I'm like, don't focus on the, on the numbers 18 years out from now. I'm like, change is possible. It really is. And we've seen, you know, we have $10 day daycare now. That was unimaginable 10 years ago. So think of all the other things that we can do. Um, and, you know, once you're a parent, you want a better world for your kids. So, you know, fight for it. And this is the average number. It doesn't mean you have to be the average. You can, you know, find ways to cut costs to, to, to really bring that number down. I think that that's, it's important to know that this is not what it costs. This is just what the average Canadian family will pay uh, to raise their child. Allison, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Yep. Thank you for having me. That's Allison Vendetti. She is founder of Moms at Work. Coming up, I want to talk about something that's not always fun to discuss, but it's really important, and that is women saving for their retirement and for what money they will need when their spouse passes away. I recently went to a funeral of an older lady I know, her husband had passed, and it just reminded me of how important this message is to send. I'm going to get into that after the break. I'm Rabina Ahmad Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Robina Ahmed-Hawk. 
recently I had to go to a funeral for an older lady that I know. She teaches piano to my children and her husband had passed away and uh, she told me about the funeral and I, I wanted to be there for her. She's a lovely, lovely person and uh, I've known her for many years now and uh, I felt it was important for us to, to be there to support her. And while I was at the funeral, you can imagine, I didn't know many people there because I, I didn't even really know her husband. I was there more for her. I started thinking about her because I've gotten to know her over the years um, and what her point of view is and what she, you know, how she lives her life and the things that she uh, takes seriously, the things that she doesn't take seriously. And I know that I've learned through conversations with her that really her husband was the one that took care of all the finances, right? Paid all the bills, made sure everything was, uh, you know, money was saved, all that kind of stuff. And now that she's dealing with it on her own, uh, she's finding it pretty overwhelming. Um, and I feel like uh, this is a good lesson for many of us who are in our 40s and 50s, and we may not even be thinking about a time uh, where we may be on our own. But for women, it really is important for us to save more money than our male counterparts. Now, this is speaking to a very specific situation. So heterosexual relationships where a woman marries someone slightly older than themselves. So this this is the typical kind of uh, family that I'm looking at right now. Uh, if you marry someone, if you're a woman and you marry a man slightly older than yourselves, a woman's life expectancy is longer than men. So you can expect to be in retirement about 10 years longer for those reasons alone, right? Uh, men die younger and women live longer. That's, that's the main reason. Uh, the other reason women need to save more is the gender pay gap. So while women are working, they're making less than men. So if you say, you know, if you give that typical 10% of your pay to put into retirement savings, that doesn't work for women. They've got to save more than that because that doesn't represent 10% of the average man's pay in the same job, right? That's just facts. That's not something I'm making up. That's just reality. And women also take time away to have children. They're more likely 95% of situations is where women take the maternity leave uh, and 5% is when men take the paternity leave. So far greater women will take time away from work to raise their children and go back maybe sometimes after five, six, seven, even longer, right? So that at that time, they're also not making money and putting money away for their retirement. And so all of those reasons are reasons why you need to save more while you are working. And this is speaking to young women, especially, uh, so that you are protecting yourself in your future. The other is, is get involved with your household finances. Don't leave it to one person to pay all the bills, to save all the money, to make sure there's enough in the account to make, you know, that nothing bounces and that all the, everything gets uh, paid in full. Uh, make sure that you know how to do things like uh, log on to your utility accounts, uh, take a look at your mortgage statement. And these are things that are especially true when life is really busy and you may not even be thinking about the reality of the other person not being there. So this is something that uh, the, the, the woman that I know was able to prepare for. Her husband was sick for some time, but in some cases it's, you know, we've heard where uh, someone dies unexpectedly and uh, the other person never really paid attention to how things were paid and where they were paid out of. And they're left really scrambling to make that happen. So just a reminder for women uh, to not only take care of themselves while they are working and save more for that reality of living longer than your spouse and also having increased healthcare costs because you are living longer and later into life, uh, but also because you're making less while you're working. So you need to put more money away and to pay attention to 
the expenses and how they are paid and how your household is run and what it costs to run your household. All those things should be something that you are privy to as well. I really enjoyed our conversations today. I thought it was amazing talking to Alita Burke, co-founder of Grocer, about the innovative ways that they're finding to grow food. If this is something, imagine having this shipping container just in your neighborhood in the middle of winter, you could go and get fresh food from there. How amazing would that be? I really hope to see her company grow and be successful because that would be amazing to have fresh produce made right in our own backyard in the dead of winter. And speaking to Alison Venditti, who I've known for a long time and has been such an advocate for working moms and her reaction to this number, you know, really, it's no surprise to parents that it costs a lot of money to raise kids. But when you have the big number ahead of you or in front of you, it really puts it into perspective. Uh, the things that we have to do to save when we are pregnant or thinking of starting a family. And even if you've started your family, the ways that you can cut back, don't get caught up in all the expensive stuff that you think other families are spending uh, and making happen for their children. It may not be the case and it's better to live within your means uh, and to edit where you can. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thanks for listening for the last hour. I hope you got something out of it. Thanks to James Petrovic, our technical producer. Thanks to you, the listener. We will be back here, same time, same channel, I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck, and this is For What It's Worth.